How many of you remember the name Brandon Bastian? Anyone? No? I would have been shocked, actually, if anybody remembered that name. I, I had to look it up. But do you recall the event? In 2015, there was just a disastrous Amtrak derailment. 2015, they went into a curve. He was at the switch or whatever you want. He was in the engineer, and he wasn't paying attention. He was distracted. They went into a curve at 106 miles per hour, and off it went. Killed eight people, injured 200 more. Do you, does that ring a bell? You think about it, when you are an engineer on a train, what is your one job? Isn't it keeping it, the, the train on? The, that'd be job number one or maybe job number two. Job number one might be do not slam our train into someone else's train at high speeds. But keeping it on the track, I mean, it's right up there, isn't it? We're looking at Acts chapter 6 here, and we've just seen throughout the, the, this wondrous look at 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 the church, at this incredibly beautiful church, the first church of Jerusalem, if you will. We have seen several attempts, I won't say who's doing it, but <clears throat> might it be Satan, um, was trying to derail the church. Do you, you've seen it in the arrests, the warnings, don't preach in this name, finally beating the apostles. You think of the Ananias and Sapphira situation. And we have another one right here before us today where there's the potential, now it doesn't work out to that, but a potential for derailment. And I am convinced that we can look at this text and we can see some things that we need to take to heart as a church in order to prevent a church derailment. Make no, make no mistake, God's sovereign. I trust that God is sovereign. But within God's sovereignty, he constantly calls us to be responsible and to take action. And so this is, this is the big idea today. Let us not allow a church derailment. The church is too precious. Amen? A biblical church around the gospel, fellow, people fellowshipping, growing in the Lord, that is a precious, precious thing. And for that reason, we should, we should watch over her and make sure she does not derail. There are five precautions that I see in the text, and this is open for review. I, this is what I d derive from the text, but you look at it and see if this, if this resonates with you. Five precautions to avoid derailment. First of all, wisely understand church growth. Wisely understand church growth. It says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose about the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So the first thing you see there is the church is growing. How many times so far have we just seen this from the day one, from the very beginning at Pentecost, the church is growing. And I don't care who you are, if you're a pastor, you do love to see the church grow. I'm just going to be honest about that. Now, um, hopefully we get to the point where we will not pursue growth at all costs, where we accept that, that we do the biblical thing and we, we trust that God will bring growth and we rejoice in that growth. But I want to say also that for every action, I don't know, a wise guy said this once, um, for every action there is an equal and opposite thing, right? Oh, reaction, yes. A re equal. Uh, in the church of Jerusalem, we have, you've got growth, but with that growth, it, it brought problems. They were trying to feed people. 
This was like the people of Israel. There's parallels even of the people of Israel coming out of Egypt and as they're going along, they get hungry and they complain against the Lord and, and God gives them manna in that case. In this case, it's the widows. that you, they've, they've, They're taking care of everyone. They're sharing in everything, but the widows in particular would have been very um, meager in, in, in their belongings, in, in their whatever they could bring. And so most of it was just taking care of them in this case, and, and it became too much. We know in some ways that the believers in Jerusalem were stuck. <laughs> stuck. Remember, they came at Pentecost, and they came to Jerusalem. They were stuck, if you will, in a happy sort of stickedness, stuckedness, I don't know. They, they were stuck happily together in, in Jerusalem, but, uh, but widows were particularly hard hit and they needed to be taken care of. So if we want to prevent derailment of the church, we need to understand that numbers, I would say changes in numbers, either direction, because that's kind of what we're experiencing. We're, we're growing, we're just growing in an in, in inverse way. Uh, but however God changes the numbers but particularly when we have growth it has an impact and it can bring problems and what we need to know is that is normal and Satan will try to exploit that anytime there's a little problem I'm convinced Satan will try to exploit that in the church. And what we have to do as, as mature believers is just reckon with that, understand that. Do not panic every time something happens in the church like happened this morning. Um, I was like a chicken with my head cut off this morning. I came and the, the person that unlocks and turns the AC on and brews the coffee and, and just there was just all kinds of things that were happening because people didn't, certain people didn't show up and uh, yeah, that's life, right? That is life and, and, and we, we have to learn to take these things in stride and then wisely solve problems. You don't get angry about problems. You don't shove them under the rug. You say, here's a problem. We deal with it. Numbers can bring problems, and we just accept that. Yeah? Secondly, the second precaution against derailment is wisely understand the challenge of diversity. How's that for touching the third rail there and the diversity? We just invented diversity a couple years ago, right? About around 2010, by my reckoning, does this thing diversity became an issue? We never had diversity in the history of the world up until that point. The truth of the matter is diversity has been around about as long as human cultures have been in existence. I mean, the, the, you've got differences of ethnicity and, and race and language and, and cultural difference, and it's always been a source of problems. And it begins to raise its head here in, and this is, this is where, the, the, with the growth, there's going to come this, this point of traction that, that Satan wants to use because you do have a diverse church. It is made up of the Hellenists and the Hebrews. They're all Jewish. Remember that. They were, they're all, uh, this is the Jewish church at this point. All Jewish believers with very few exceptions. We'll see one of those today. But all, all of them are Jewish, but there are two distinct groups. Think about it the way it is today in the world. You have very, you know, a great deal of, a uh, great number of Jewish people in the United States. There may be, last I heard, there were more Jews in the United States than there were in Israel. And you think about culturally an American Jew where they would be in their thought process. They're very enculturated. They speak English. They're, they're champions of democracy. They're, they're, they're flag-waving patriots for the most part. 
And then over in Israel, it's a whole different thing, right? They're still Jewish, but they speak Hebrew, and if they speak English, it's with an accent, and they have a different sense of priorities and what matters. And you can imagine those two groups probably have some conflict getting along when they come together. In this case, it was Hellenists and Hebrews. Hellenism, if you hear me drop the word Hellenism or Hellenistic or anything with that word, it's not about a woman named Helen that had a lot of influence. Uh, it's the word for Greek in Greek. Or it comes from the word for Greek in Greek. So if something has been Hellenized, it meant that the, that the Greek culture and language had, had really influenced it. Now we could go into the history of why there were Hellenist Jews, but, but the vast majority of Jews outside of uh, Judea, outside of Galilee, were Hellenistic Jews. They spoke Greek, they were enculturated into, into Greek, and then you had those that were in the homeland, in, in the land of Israel, and they were the Hebrews. They were the ones that would have been in Jerusalem. And they were very, very, they, they were like crosstown uh, rivals, if you will. Anytime you have diversity, you have the potential of humans acting like humans, which is bad. <laughs> Because when we act like humans, things like prejudice, preferential treatment, uh, being unfair, unjust, you, you name it, all of, all of a sudden that comes into play. Diversity is not a bad thing, and I don't hope nobody walks away going, well, Jay's second point was he hates diversity. <laughs> definitely, not, definitely not what I'm saying. What, what I am saying is that is a point, if you don't understand, if you're not aware, if you're not looking for it, that is an area that, that you can have problems how this happened could have been, you know, chalked up to just a bad administration at this point in the church. But with the growth, what happened was the Hellenist widows were not getting their share of food and so forth. I don't know if they got it cold and late, like it was a Meals on Wheels program, and, and their, their people always showed up, and, and they didn't get a selection. It was all cold, something like that. Um, one thing is clear. The Hellenists were not taking it lying down. This says they came with a complaint. What do you hear in the word complaint? <laughs> We're not happy. In fact, they said our widows are being neglected. Meaning, and I looked up the word because I really wanted to get at it, you know, and it means neglect. Um, but uh, it, it means what it says. I mean, the, the, the word in Greek really kind of has the same nuance of a word, meaning we're getting passed over. We're being unfairly treated because we're part of the Hellenistic group, and those Hebrews over there, you know, they're just looking out for themselves. That's what was implied here. What we're going to see is that the church does what it ought to do. The church sees it. It's a problem. We've got a problem. We don't want this problem. People are being ignored. People feel bad. People aren't getting their food. Okay, let's take care of it. That's new, isn't it? What a weird idea. We've got problems with diversity. We've got problems. Let's work on the problem. How, how refreshing. You know, and I don't want to get into politics on this. Um, what I will say, as far as I can tell, um, this did not begin a whole uh, sort of culture-wide Roman Empire impulse to remove all problems of diversity. The church did not attack problems of diversity in Roman society. They didn't, get, they didn't think that big. Instead, they became a model of what humanity can look like when we share things in common across different lines. But they solved it within the church, and I think that is so, so important for us to see. 
How many would love to see grace be a little more diverse than we are now? I'm just, I just have to tell you, I'm looking across this, this spectrum, and uh, we're pretty white. I just, I, but let's just, let's just, just say we are pretty white. I don't blame us for that. I don't blame myself for being white. Um, you know, I could get out in the sun a little more. It's true, but, but, but honestly, I would love to, it would be a wonderful thing if God, by his grace and through relationships here, would bring more and more people into our midst that don't look exactly like us. And I think we would all be in favor of that, right? We just need to understand that with that, in that would come some issues where we would have to work on things. And, and that's, that would be a challenge, but it would be a challenge worth doing. And it's a challenge that can be done. You have to approach these things. You have to see problems and then deal with them. So that's, that's number two there, isn't it? Number three, the third precaution, leaders wisely lead with kingdom conviction. Okay, look at verse two and look at verse four. You say you're skipping three. Yes, I am. I'm coming back to verse three, but two and four are very, uh, very similar because it talks about what the disciples, what the apostles were willing and not willing to do. It says, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We'll come back to verse three. That's where we get to the solution they suggest. But look at what's going on in two and four. The apostles are saying, we were not called to serve tables. We were not called to deliver Meals on Wheels. That's not our job. Do you think anyone in that group at that point uh, thought to themselves, man, these apostles, they're kind of getting big heads about this. I mean, who put them in charge? All right, Jesus. Well, but still, why can't they get that? Did, did anybody pull Peter aside? Peter, do you remember that whole washing the feet thing? You just preached that sermon last week, by the way, and we got it. We understood it. So why aren't you wash? Why aren't you at least going and checking on some widows and doing doing that? Because wouldn't that be honoring and pleasing and glorifying to God? Imagine if yours truly, next time there was a work day, said, "Have a great work day." I won't be there, you know, because I have to give myself to the preaching of the word and, and to prayer. How would that go over? I can tell you after 30 years of ministry about how that goes over. It goes, you know, the, the proverbial lead balloon and how it goes over. That's about how that tends to, to work with people. People will start complaining. Some people will say, it's okay, it's okay, we understand. But people, will, before long, you know, people will be upset. And I'll just frankly admit to you through the years that I've probably at times done a little more of those kinds of things because I didn't want people upset with me. You probably wouldn't believe that about me, but it's true. Yeah, I mean, we're all people pleasers on some level. We don't want everybody cranked at us, and I have done. In my first church, and I know I've used this illustration before, but um, in my first church that I served, it was an old Presbyterian church that became part of the free church, and, the, and it, when they built their building, I don't know who their engineer or architect was, but they built it one concrete block too far down into the ground relative to the water table. So every time it rained, about an inch of rain, some amount of water would start coming up in the basement. 
And if it rained six inches <laughs> or something like that where you just really get hammered, we would have three inches, four inches, we'd have a foot, it would come up over the, the, the light sock, I mean the, 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 the outlets and so forth along the wall, and it was terrible. And I remember one time we called as many of the guys as we could get together and they brought pumps and all, and we were, we were squeegeeing, we were sucking water, with, but about 4 a.m., the last guy besides me left. Have a good time, Jay. It was a Saturday night when it happened. I went home at about 6 a.m., crawled into bed, got up an hour later, and went over to the church, and we had our services. Was that really the best use of my time? Was that, did that really represent the best? You know, I, I, I kind of doubt it. I get that pastors are not apostles. In the local church, though, much of the responsibility that was on the apostles in the church of Jerusalem become the things that are, that are important for pastor elders to do, like preaching the word, watching over the church, the things we've, we've talked about, prayer, are, are really, really vital things. This is a hard conversation to have, isn't it? As a church, you're like, this is not a conversation, Jay. This is a monologue. You're up there talking, right? But it is. It's, it, it's a hard thing for, for us to talk about. What I love about the apostles, that I think, you know, they're light years ahead of me in, in this regard, is their biblical conviction, is their kingdom conviction. Because if I'd been Peter, I would have been worried about what would people think? Jesus did wash my feet after all. Am I acting high and mighty and, and too good and too big for my own? I would worry what people would say. And, and for them, it was a no-brainer. For them, it was unquestioned. It's like, this is not what we were called to do. We do not have enough hours in the day to do all of these things and make sure all of the Hellenist widows get fed and do the work that Christ called us to do. By the way, there's an, this should make you feel a little bit better if you look at verse 4 in particular. It says that, that they were going to devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And that word ministry is a translation of a word that means to serve. It is also a translation of a word which is related to the word deacon. Deacon means directly taken out of the Greek, brought into English and, and anglicized, but it is, it is a word that means a servant. And ba the verb of that, that's, what's, that's what they're saying. So they're not trying to get out of work. They're not trying to getting out of, get, be, uh, getting past the others and not have to put any service in. They're saying our service that Christ called us to is to serve specifically in the word and prayer, the centrality of the word and prayer. Where did they get that from? Where did the apostles come up with that? I mean, didn't Je Jesus went around, he fed people by the thousands, he drove out demons, he healed the sick, he raised the dead. But what was his priority? When we were going through the book of Luke, I kept pointing this out. Like when he was in Galilee and, he, and he'd been healing and, dry, and, and, and they're like, stay. They just wanted to keep him right there just so that they, he could do all, be the doctor in town. And he's like, no, I have to go. I have to proclaim the gospel. I have to preach. I have to teach. That, that necessity of teaching, that necessity of prayer were part of his life. And that's what he had modeled for the apostles. So let me return to this third, third point that I just made here and, uh, and, and kind of hammer it home. To keep the church from derailing, to keep the church from derailing, wise leaders must 
lead with kingdom convictions. Elders, pastors cannot put their finger in the air and say, which way is the wind blowing this week? And who's upset with me? And I'm just going to just capitulate to whatever it is so I can keep everybody. If you start living that way as church leaders, your church is done for. You, you can stick a fork in it. It's done. Christ didn't call leaders to try to be men pleasers. He called leaders to lead the church for the sake of the glory of the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be about. That's how you keep the church from derailing. The minute we make it all about how do we keep everybody happy, we're done. Too strong? Well, I'll back up and try it a different way so to keep you happy. How's that sound? Never mind. All right, we'll move on. We'll keep, we'll keep going here. Uh, the fourth precaution, to avoid derailment, wisely utilize the gift of others. Look at verse, uh, verse 3. See, I told you we'd get back there. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. What do you think? Are these the first deacons? Are these the first deacons? It seemed, commentators are kind of split on this. Are these the first deacons? Maybe, maybe not. They're not specifically said to be deacons. I will tell you this. Um, it is interesting that the word that we're talking about for service, upon which the word deacon emerges, is used three times in this little text. So if they're not the first deacons, they are at least what we could call the prototype. You know what prototypes are, right? Like Ford and Chevy, they'll always bring out a prototype and it'll look really cool and it'll have all the bells and whistles and then they put it into production and it never looks anything quite like the prototype. They're, the proto they're at least prototypical deacons here. The word, um, note that the deacons of what we can say of deacons here is that they are not just cooks and bottle washers. These were men, it says, of good repute. What does that mean? Good reputation. People around the community knew them, knew they were solid, they, knew they had good character. Full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, which syncs up with Paul's qualification for deacons. I point this out because it's easy for people to think that deacons are just men in the church who can do stuff. You know, they're builders and plumbers and electricians, and we just, we just grab them, and we don't care what sort of people they are or what their reputation are. You know, if they can turn a wrench or plunge a toilet, you know, you're in. Churches have tended to be too pragmatic in that regard, but, but what we see and what we see in Paul's qualifications of deacons is, is they had to be spiritual people. Stephen and Philip, now we don't know much about the other ones in this group of the seven, but Stephen and Philip we find out quite a bit about. Stephen's amazing. Philip is amazing. These men were capable of preaching the gospel. They, 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 they were solid in their, in their faith. In fact, Stephen preaches, if not the longest sermon that is given to us in total in the Bible, at least second only to the Sermon on the Mount. It is long. <laughs> I don't even know how I'm going to preach that sermon when we get to it, because it it's a lot. It, it, it is amazing. But they are picked by the church. The apostles let the church select them from among themselves in order to do this duty. What was the duty that they were given? What's this duty? It was to feed the 
feed the widows to make sure that they were attended to in the distribution. See, you might have thought that the apostles were proud and arrogant. I was kind of leading you that way a little bit, that that might be how people would look at them. Actually, they're, I think the apostles are humble. I think the apostles are thumb- How many of you, and you certainly don't shout out any names, but how, have you, how many of you have known a leader, a church leader, who thought they could do everything in the church? Right, all across the board. If something was happening up here, they were up here. If something was happening out there, they were out there. And then they just, they just thought they could do everything. Like, you know, and, and usually they burn themselves out. But why would a man do that? Because somehow he gets it into his idea that I must do it all because I'm all that. And it, and it would have been easy for the apostles to have thought that way. They knew they needed help. And they were willing to go for it and say, look, nope, okay, here's the kingdom direction. Here's where Christ is calling us. We know we can't do it all. We know this is our passion and what Christ has called us to. So we need men that are qualified but spiritual that can, that can come in and help us. That is wisdom. Over a year ago, our church finally called deacons. When I came here at a great elder board, and that's part of what drew me to this church when I looked at this church is that we had a, a strong history of elders who had led well and the congregation trusted them and I thought that that is a good thing the problem was is for years since the beginning of the church when there were elders we didn't have deacons established and we started looking at it biblically um, as an elder board we started looking at well how much are we doing as elders and how much of that is overlapping with what with what deacons would do and how, how much is that robbing us of some of the really important things concerning teaching people the word of God, shepherding people, going after them when they're in sin, um, praying, for etc. And, and so we called deacons for the first time. And it's been good. It's been good. And pray that that just continues to be something that grows in how we do church. All right, you ready for the, the fifth precaution? We're getting there, right? Eh? wisely seek unity when problems arise. And now you're going to see where the congregation comes into play. Look at verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. That would be the church. The whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon. Um, yeah, that, you remember Timon. Uh, or Timon. Uh, and uh, Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. I, I don't have time, nor do I even have the information that I could go into a ton here about what these guys did. In fact, Stephen and Philip are the only ones we really know anything about, and we'll be getting to them, so there's no point in saying a lot about them at this point. The one interesting one there, the kind of the ringer in the bunch, is Nicholas, Nicholas, however you want to pronounce it, who was a proselyte of Antioch. Now, what does that tell you? He was born a Gentile. He was born a pagan. This is a guy who was attracted to, to the God of Abraham. He heard the preaching of, of the Old Testament, and he was drawn to that, and he went the whole way. I mean, he, be, he got circumcised, and he became a Jewish person. Then he was brought into the faith in Christ. What I want you to see, though, here is the opening clause. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And I just want to take that whole thought there of, of, of pleasing the whole 
church gathering and just hold it up like a baby is in its perfection or I guess it would be like Simba and the Lion King you know oh, this moment and just look at that as a church and say how gorgeous is that how how doesn't that make your heart just kind of skip a beat when you think of a church that's just unified like that I think of the words of David when David wrote behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity it is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard and the beard on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. And if you sit there and listen to that and go, that doesn't sound good at all to have oil running all the way down your head, You're, you would be missing the biblical picture there because it's picturing Aaron being anointed to be that, that high priest and it's just the idea of, of the glory of God as he calls this man and the service that he provides to the, to the people. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing for the people of God to think of that. And it's like, that's what unity is like. You see, the, the apostles could lead with conviction. Consider this congregation, whole gathering to whom I am speaking. The apostles could preach with conviction and lead with conviction. The, the deacons could come on and deacon and deacon really well. But what, about the, what if the whole congregation had been unwilling? What if the, what if the Hellenists had said, hey, just wait a second there, just, 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 just hold on a minute here. I, wanna, let's, let's, I, want, this on, I want this in writing, what you're going to do exactly. For our, We're not going anywhere. We're not budging until we see exactly. Or, or the Hebrew going, you know, why are we giving in to these whiny Hellenists? They're, they're, you know, there they got their nose in the air. They think they're better than us, and now they're telling us how to run the ship. I mean, that could have happened, couldn't it? I'm just saying, if you've been in a church ever, that sounds conceivable, doesn't it? No? You've never seen churches behave like, in an ungodly, fleshly way like that? It happens. It, 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 it can happen. The whole gathering of the church instead listened to the apostles. They heard the wisdom of what they had decided to do, and they were okay. They didn't care that Peter wasn't running the meal program. They listened to it, and they went, this is good. We had a problem. It was threatening the church. We, we found a solution. Yay, rah. How are we to care about the flock of Christ? How do we protect and nourish and defend her and keep the kingdom vision of the church from derailing. In wisdom, we look at issues that will come, whatever they might be, it always happens. We look at them, we take them head on, prayerfully, in a godly, biblical way, and we deal with them. And the church unites behind that. You say, you're just wanting yes men. You want the church to be a bunch of yes men. Actually, I'm allergic to that idea um, because that's how cults get formed. You know, you tell the church, you can't disagree on anything. And that's not what we're saying. In fact, you think about biblically, when Peter got a little off the rails, Paul called him to task. Remember that? He, in front of everybody. He's like, you're in the wrong. But we're talking there about great theological damage that can be done where things need to be called out but and when we're talking about things just making the church run keeping things efficient you know we should we should at all costs to the to the greatest extent we are able seek unity 
And if we're a little kinked by something, if we're a little miffed, or we're, if we're a Hellenist and we're waiting to see if it really happens, I get that. But we want to join in that, in that unity for the sake of the gospel so that the kingdom will not be derailed. And the proof that this is going to work here is in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding because when they did this, when they, when they followed this plan, remember they were... It was a threat to, to complete derailment, but they don't derail. They do exactly, I think, what God called them to do. And look what it says. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You can see the church work, works now like this well-oiled machine. It's just this beautiful, beautiful thing. The apostles bring this. The, the church affirms it. They select the men. They lay hands on them, and they commission them to that task. And then God says, you know what? You, that problem that we just had that almost derailed us because we were growing so much, you know the answer right now is to grow even more. <laughs> Do you think the apostles at some point went, man, we're just growing too fast here? All it is is problems. Every time we turn around, there's more people. More people means more problems. I don't, I don't think they ever said that. I, I honestly don't. But the impact of this ministry that's been allowed to stay on the rails is so immense that, that they grow, and they even grow among the priests. Did you catch that? Did, did you like kind of like, what? Did he say the priests? They grew among the priests? Yes! Leaving the priesthood, that, that, that was such a place of honor and, and somewhat of power in their culture. To leave that, it'd be like an American going, you know what, I just don't like America that much. I think I'm going to go down to Colombia or Venezuela and uh, just, just become a citizen there. Do you ever hear about that happening? Almost never, right? Almost never. Because people count it such a privilege to be born in America. But, but the priests heard the gospel as it was being proclaimed by this, again, like a well-oiled machine. The church is just heading, you know, all kingdom, full speed ahead, and it just, you get this huge revival even among the, the priests. That is an amazing thing. And I think to myself, what would happen if the church had derailed? What, what, if, what if the apostles had said, you know what, um, we're just going to try to take care of it ourselves. Got a lot of people mad at us here. What would have happened? Would, would the church have grown in this way, do you think? What's the implication? I don't think so. I think they would have been stuck. I think they would have plateaued. I think this would have been something that would have, have been a monumental failure. How do we take that and, and apply it to Grace Community Church? I know we live in different times. I know that I'm not an apostle, so I'm not in any, don't, I'm not going around calling myself or the elders apostles. But, but as elders in the church, we are called to a similar concern for the sake of the church. We want this church to be about the kingdom of God. We want the, with the church pursuing that with, with all of its passion. And as leaders, we want to do absolutely everything we can that nothing, no impediment gets on the tracks and sends us off the rails. We do everything in our power for that. 
And I would say for you, the congregation, this whole gathering, we would, wouldn't you want that same thing? And I believe you do, don't you? For the sake of the kingdom of God, let us keep the main things the main thing and stay united in those things. And if there's a problem, a problem emerges, bring it to the church. Bring it to the, bring it to the elders. Let's talk about it. Problems are not disasters. Problems aren't reason to panic and fall apart and go elsewhere, whatever the case may be. Problems are, are things that, that God calls us to solve in a spirit of unity and love. And maybe it starts uh, here today for you if you're not a believer, if you're listening to this on YouTube, or maybe you're here today and you don't really um, know Christ. That means that you're not part of the kingdom that we're talking about. Because Christ is the king, he rules over his kingdom. He came into this world to establish that kingdom, to purchase for himself, for, for the Lord, a people unto God. He gave his life on the cross. He died. He was put to death. He was buried. He rose the third day in order to bring sinful human beings into that kingdom, to redeem them, to forgive them, to give them eternal life, and to, and to bring them bring them in. If you'd let me be just corny here, I couldn't help but uh, think of an old song from the 60s. You know, people, I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. <laughs> people get ready, there's a train a-coming. How many remember that? People get ready, there's a train a-coming. Don't need no baggage to just get on board. All you need is faith to hear the diesel humming. I like that. If God brings you, awakens you to faith in Jesus Christ today, then he's going to put you on the train. And I believe God's going to keep us on the tracks together. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we want to be just um, in that right place with you as a church. Lord, we don't want to derail from our kingdom mission. And it's so easy because we're human beings. We can get miffed. We could get depressed, we can get burned out, we can get angry. Lord, people in leadership, if, if, if they get off the tracks, they, they can become abusive, bad things. We know bad things can happen, Lord, but you've set before us this, this picture of this beautiful church that just keeps on going down the tracks, and at every point where they're threatened to be derailed, Lord, you kept them, you kept them where they needed to be, and, and Lord, we would devote ourselves to that same purpose. Lord, forgive us where we fail. Forgive us where we, where we would compromise, where we would become people pleasers. Lord, help us to have that kingdom vision. And Lord, bring the numbers in as you see fit. Lord, we can't do, we can't do that, Lord. We can't determine a number. We, don't, we can target all day long what we think we want, what we think we need, Lord, but it's up to you. And Lord, we just want to be faithful to keep your kingdom right in, the, in our view. And we do that. We devote ourselves to that. We pray, Lord, that you will bring people to, into your kingdom through the gospel of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.